I got more gray hairs in that few yeah. <laughs> uh, few months than uh, I had previously gotten in a, a couple years, but we made it work. Now we can look back on it and we're actually laughing about it. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. My name is Rich Radowski. I'm the Chief Operating Officer here at LBT. Five years ago, on October 25th, 2015, Lutheran Bible Translators dedicated a new headquarters location in Concordia, Missouri, USA. LBT CEO Dr. Mike Rodewald and I sat down to talk about our memories of the time leading up to the move, the move itself, how it has shaped and repositioned us for more effective ministry, and where we think the next five years might take Lutheran Bible Translators. Join us on a little trip down memory lane. We are here with Dr. Mike Rodewald, the first repeat guest on the podcast now, and this time not in the midst of a COVID lockdown, so we actually get to be in the same room together and talk about some stuff. So welcome back. Thanks, Rich. Nice to be here again and look forward to it. Today we are going to talk about... LBT's move to Concordia. We have been here for five years now, and we just thought we'd kind of recap where we've been, why, how we got here, and where we're going from here. We'll just kind of jump right into it. So we, this move starts before five years ago. Uh, if we go back to the time that you were appointed by LBT's board as executive director in January 2014, you were coming on in June. What were some of the concerns of the board for the direction of the organization at that time? That's a great question. During that time, 2014, thinking back on that, the board doesn't actually direct the type of uh, governance that we have in Lutheran Bible Translators is called policy governance. And so the board directs through policy, not through directives from board members. Mm. I did talk to some board members privately, and they had some suggestions of what they thought were some of the problems or the directions that Lutheran Bible Translators go. But the board, by policy, has set a number of objectives. One of those is to create operational reserves, that we would have reserves to cover in times of, uh, such as COVID, as that we have had uh, operational reserves. And what about the future? What were we going to do into the future? How was Lutheran Bible Translators going to survive and thrive as the future unwound? And those were the main concerns of the board. I do want to compliment our previous executive director who did a great job of shepherding Lutheran Bible translators through many years. Yeah. And Chicago, we were there from 1984 to yeah. 2014. It was a wonderful place to be. We had outgrown that facility in some ways. Maybe I'll talk about that in the future. But those were some of the concerns that what were we going to do into the future? Okay. So you're, you're coming on the job and there are those kinds of concerns. How did relocating the headquarters of the organization become a priority? And what other things were at play there and, and what were factors involved in doing that? Well, the largest consideration was mainly financial. Uh, if moving was not a board mandate, the board sure. did not say you must move or do any specific thing to do that had to do with moving, but we should consider sure. moving. So primarily, we, it was a financial uh, consideration. And I just have to say personally, if you've ever moved an organization, it's a huge job. I it will is. do that one time. I will never do that one again because right. uh, you were in that move. Yeah. You understand what that was, all the dynamics that had to go with that. Part of the, the question was the headquarters that we had 
did we need a building? We had a 15,000 square foot building that needed about $500,000 of deferred maintenance at the time. Mm-hmm. The question was, do we look for funding to raise that five, to take that $500,000, fix the building up? Then we had 15,000 square feet and we weren't using a lot of that. The mission paradigm has changed so much since many years ago. In 1984, when Lutheran Bible Translators moved to Chicago, at that time we needed many staff. Uh, missionaries needed much support on the logistics, support on the field. That's changed now. Many of the, even the remote places we live, you can get things in those nations that, uh, that we're serving. Right. So we did no longer needed the 15,000 square feet. And that made us to think we can do this for a less price. Let's sell the building and take care of uh, things in a different kind of way. Sure. Financially, the turnaround uh, that we found was the first year that we came here to Concordia. The turnaround was about $400,000, and we did not have to maintain the building, run the utilities for that building, and it gave us some breathing space that that $400,000 was enough to look in new directions. Yeah. So once it was decided this is strategic to look for a way to move out of this building and move to a different location, how did LBT leadership go about determining the location? What were we looking for in a new facility and a new location? What were the factors involved in that? Yeah, good question. I I do have to say the major reason for the moving was, again, financial. And the second major reason would be uh, the ability to maintain our Lutheran Christian identity. We were open to any invitation which would maintain those two uh, and then look at all the other dynamics that were in a particular location. We did receive nine invites and each one was a great location with different ways of that we'd be able to operate, positives and negatives, different groups of positives, different groups of negatives. They were all really partnerships. In the end, we chose uh, Concordia and this partnership with St. Paul Lutheran High School as the most suitable. It's affordable. It comes in a strong Christian community. And I just have to say in Chicago, there was a feeling of uh, a waning Christian presence. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The community was no longer conducive to the Christian environment. I'm talking about the public uh, domain, government, and uh, they were seen to be moving in a different direction. In Concordia, we are very much welcomed. Or it's very nice to be here with a strong community. This used to be a, a two-year Lutheran college here in Concordia. And uh, so there was space. Uh, when this became a high school, there was still space on the campus. And uh, a lot of this empty space, it's given us the ability to use that space for our purposes too. Great partnership we have with St. Paul Lutheran High School. So we landed on Concordia, but what were some of the other options we were looking at? Where were we thinking about going and how did we end up landing here? Yeah, we had some great opportunities and invitations. Um, all the other Bible translation organizations, I'm called the Evangelical Non-Denominational Bible Translation Organizations, said they could create space for us. I'm yep. talking Wycliffe Bible Translators, SIL, and we made visits, site visits to those places. Concordia Seminary St. Louis issued us an invitation and offered us space. Also, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne also offered us space to be able to, to serve. In the end, Concordia here in uh, kind of the rural area was the cheapest option and the advantage of some shared space that we had that we chose this one as being the most suitable for us at this particular time. Yeah, we'll get into some of those benefits of this particular space in a little bit here. So 
Yeah, and I remember visiting some folks in Phoenix, and we heard from folks in Ann Arbor, yes. and Concordia Publishing House had some space. So, yeah, there was a lot of different opportunities. kind of speaks to mission and ministry paradigm that uh, folks do need to look at their, their building space and are, are looking for ways to use that wisely. And so to uh, be a ministry looking to use shared space instead of owning a building was strategic for us. Very much so. Yeah, now we're thinking back, closing down the operations in Aurora. You've talked about that whole process as like driving a car while trying to fix it at the same time or driving a car <laughs> while eating a hamburger. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about yeah, the uh, challenges. It's pretty messy. You'd like to say that things are going to go just a specific way, but uh, if you've ever had a big juicy hamburger driving the car, uh, you're going to drop some on your lap. And I do have to thank all the staff that we had that was helping us to do this. Down by leaving a location, we lost a number of our staff who could no longer come with us. And that was a really part of the challenge of moving from one place to another. There was 30 years of being in one location, all the things that one gathers. One went into some of the storage rooms and it becomes storage rooms packed on uh, things on top of things. You look at it and you say, what do we do with all of this? And you don't wish to throw it all away. You wish to find out what's valuable within that stack of documents or archives. We ended up digitalizing quite a bit of uh, data that we had sifting through and saying this is no longer useful for the future, bringing some stuff with us and it's still in storage. Uh, We did find some boxes that had been brought from the previous location in Orange, California that were stored from that time and looked like nobody had touched them (laughs) at that time. So it was a good chance to review all the data that we had available and to say what historical is helpful for the future, what is no longer helpful, and archive the rest through digital means. That's right. I forgot about those boxes from Orange. There was something special that you found in there, I remember. Yes. Many years ago, before one went overseas, we went to something called Jungle Camp. And it was a time where we learned how to do things in a way that you would do in a very remote uh, location where you didn't have all the things like stores and So I had some great pictures from that, and someone at the office in Orange, California, asked me to, could we look at that? I I made an album out of these pictures, and I gave them this album, and I said, send it to me uh, when you're done. And then I went back overseas and always thinking, I wonder if they've sent that to my American location. When I got back, they hadn't, but they had moved to uh, Chicago. And somebody apologized and said, we don't know. We just we must have lost that in the move. We don't know where that is. Well, when we were getting ready to move to Concordia, my wife was down and looking through some of the boxes that had come from Orange. And she came running up and she said, look what I found. <laughs> and that book had been sitting there for many years in, in that box. But I'm relieved to have access to those particular pictures Again, but they had not been archived or or anything else since that particular time. So we did look through everything else. I have my album back. Very grateful to to have that. Yeah, I got a good vintage LBT polo shirt out of that whole deal as well. Yes, that's (laughs) a lot of things that we had stored away. That's right. There was lots of space to store, that's for sure. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, there was a transitional time then uh, in Aurora. And one thing I found fascinating was that we were also really more intentionally at that time starting to work on our social media presence and you know experiment and say well what do people like or what are people really interested in here 
And every time we posted something about LBT's move, it by far was the thing that got most interaction. So there was a lot of interest in, in that for whatever reason. And yeah, so the interesting thing for, uh, I'll just even throw a little bit of my story. And I, I came uh, to the U.S. And, and began work as director of program ministries in September. I signed a lease to squeeze my whole family into this little townhouse knowing that this is probably not permanent. And then the owners of that townhouse sold it. And the new owner said, this lease needs to end on the, at the end of May. And so already in March, we still hadn't decided. We knew that the organization was moving, but not where. And so anyways, then we had a board meeting in May and finalized this is going to be the location. And about Uh, Within days, my wife had me in a car down here looking for a place to live. So we were the first to come down here in uh, May of 2015. School got out here at the high school, and they were going to begin work on renovation. Well, I should say collectively, we were going to begin work on renovation. And uh, the first step was to unload these rooms. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that uh, that was a a time. And I do have to say, again... Uh, I do want to acknowledge the hard work of the staff, uh, the unloading rooms, putting everything in the boxes, bringing it um, in a moving van, bringing everything down. The whole goal was that still missionaries had to be supported during right. that particular time. Yep. Still people were uh, supporting Lutheran Bible translators through checks and gifts, and those things could not stop at the same time. And so the the goal was, how do we maintain those things without anybody, the, the field staff and our partners feeling the move, yeah. while at the same time making sure everything is getting in its proper places. And it was really awesome, the people that God put on those tasks, that we were able to fulfill those those tasks yeah. in a way that, that many people were not even aware that we were we were moving. Now, for the people that were moving, I got more gray hairs in that few, yeah. uh, few months <laughs> than sure. uh, I had previously gotten in a, a couple of years. Uh, and I know it was stressful for many of the staff as we, but we made it work. And uh, now we can look back on it and we're actually laughing about it rather right. than uh, uh, wringing our hands of how this is going to happen. It was an interesting time. So we started a small kind of parallel office while the operations were still happening in Aurora. We had a, a small office in uh, Bilt Hall on this campus that my wife and I staffed. She worked in gift records for an interim period, so she was learning remotely how to do that, and I worked from there. And they began renovating this space over the summer. So again, every time we showed pictures about the place, uh, that was the stuff that uh, people loved. And there was a great blog series that we'll have to see maybe on a throwback Thursday, we'll have to throw that on social media. There was a great blog series on thoughts on the move that, uh, again, just really got a lot of traction. But so that first day that the office uh, opened here was in September of 2015. I planned accordingly and was out of the country at the time. (laughs) (laughs) You Uh, did well. So so when the trucks arrived from Aurora, others helped to uh, move that stuff in and There was, yeah, quite a bit. We had taken staff down. I think when the doors opened here, well, when the doors opened in this building, first day before the stuff arrived, I was here. And that first day, the room we're sitting in right now, which is my office, was the only room that was finished out. And so we had a card table in here. And my wife and Emily Wilson, who was our office manager at the time, because, again, that was a position we made just for the move to figure out, you know, so there was no, it was a backbone to the office. She and my wife and I sitting at a card table with our laptops and a phone. That was LBT for about a week. So it is uh, stuff you don't forget. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to just jump in to tell our listeners the space that we're in uh, kind of has an interesting history. And the St. Paul High School 
being having the history of St. Paul Lutheran College, two-year college, this area is a fine arts building, and back in the day, it used to be a music piano practice rooms and organ rooms. Because in back in the day, if you wanted to be a Lutheran school teacher, you had to learn to play the piano. And so they had practice rooms soundproofed with pianos in them in this whole space. They took away that requirement for Lutheran school teachers, and when they took away the requirement, then nobody played these pianos, and so they had turned into storage. And when things turn into storage over 10 years, 20 years, they end up with old books from the library, just boxes of unused stuff. So as we renovated, the job was to take all of that out, to take small practice rooms, piano rooms, and organ practice rooms, and turn them into offices that we could use as space. And that was the renovation task. It's very conducive and functional at this particular time. Works out really well, but we're busting at the seams. Yeah. Uh, we thought at the time, oh, we'll never use all this space, but the Lord has blessed us and we continue to add staff and uh, missionary support and project support. And we're filling up these offices very quick. Yeah. So we had a dedication in October 25th, so just... Uh, shortly after the release date of this podcast, as five years since that dedication. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you remember the dedication. Well, yeah. that, that day is a blur for me, Rich. <laughs> I, uh, I do remember there were crowds, flags flying. Kennedy G. from Liberia was our guest preacher as part of the story of Bible translation in Liberia yeah. many, many years ago. Yeah. I remember LBT, Director for Canada, came down and was with us. Activities well-planned. For me, as the executive director at the time, it was a blur. And uh, we had dinner at the end with many people that, that came. And very thankful for everyone who came to support and see what Lutheran Bible Translators was doing in the new location. Yeah. Yeah. Pastors visited and came. President Hagen was here. Yes. Okay. That's right. Yeah. So uh, it was a, a wonderful day. It was some of the best weather we've had in Concordia. <laughs> some of the folks who may listen to the podcast there uh, are our remote staff, and they get to come. We have this series of meetings in January, which is that is one of the least pleasant times to be here. And then we have this uh, conference in July, which is the other extreme of that. So, But for those folks, I can tell you there are very nice seasons of weather around here. Uh, we just keep them all to ourselves, I guess. So, yeah, so that dedication is five years ago. Let's talk a little bit about what the move to Concordia has meant. As a, as a leader in this organization, that's a question I get asked quite a bit by folks who remember before we moved or kind of caught up with our story as we were moving. What has this move to Concordia meant, and was it a good move? Was it positive, and why? Yeah, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but our financial director at the time told us that the first move we gained not only the selling of the building that we had in Aurora, yeah. but we also gained about $400,000 in expenses that we did not have to spend on a building or utilities. That was a pivotal moment yeah. in that we were able to take that $400,000 and apply it in other ways than we had previously done before. That gave us some space. It gave us space to create reserves, gave us space to spend more money on some of the projects that we're doing, and uh, really, I have to credit to having that space uh, through the years to be able to do that now has helped us to survive COVID and even thrive in many ways yeah. in a time of uncertainty where we, we had made plans and we can continue those plans with certainty knowing that we're going to be able to accomplish those uh, even if COVID gives us a hit to uh, some of the financial planning that we had done. Some of the other advantages that's been really nice being here at St. Paul Lutheran High School is we have a lot of shared space. 
These are things we do not have to keep up. We do not have to keep them going, but we have access uh, with them through our lease with St. Paul Lutheran High School. There's conference rooms that are available. We use those once a year. We come together in Concordia Mission Institute is what it's called, uh, together with Mission of Christ Network, brings about a uh, 120 missionaries from all over the world. Yep. We're together. We have families. We have ways of uh, talking together, making sure that everyone is okay. It's a time to learn new skills and just understand what it's like to serve in God's mission. And that's very possible here. There are um, rooms here on campus that people can stay in. And even when missionaries come to visit our central offices, our international offices here, they have space to just relax. It's 100 yards away from our offices. No one has to drive in. No one has to fight traffic or in a rural location. It's very relaxed compared to some of the things I've experienced before being in an urban area. There's advantages for each. I think we have a great labor pool from which we've been able to draw dedicated and really passionate staff. Yeah. Very happy to be serving in God's mission through Lutheran Bible Translators in this location. Yeah, I think that people are surprised sometimes at the rural location. I think there's an expectation that an organization's headquarters is going to be in a more suburban or urban location for various reasons. Like, And the questions that will be asked is, well, do you have adequate access to talent to work in your organization if you're, if you're not in an urban or suburban setting? But just it speaks to some of the unique aspects of who we are in our ministry context. Uh, certainly we have some folks in in urban context, but largely rural context, and so there's just a good match that way too. It's just in a way part of our our ethos that we're in these out-of-the-way locations, so even here where our headquarters is, and that has translated well into staff and missionary engagement when, when they come onto this campus. If they wonder, why did we choose, to, you know, all these choices, why did we choose to go to Concordia, Missouri? And they had that question until... They set foot on this campus and saw, and then it just makes a, a big difference. The green space, the access to housing, the everything in one space, and the kind of slower pace of life here all really helps with organization dynamics, which is critical, uh, really, when you're in 2020, um, when you're running an organization, you're lean and not a lot of fat and fluff financially, and that uh, positive organization dynamics is really what gives you the edge in, uh, in ministry, I think. So true. And I wish I could say we as executive team were um, uh, had planned all this. Right. Yeah. We, we actually didn't. The Lord led us here. And then we have gotten the benefits of being in a kind of a rural location. I think uh, so. My, my thought is the day of the big building is for a nonprofit for such as us who are working primarily overseas that we don't need the big building. There are digital ways of doing what we did in the past. And so we've been able to capitalize on that by being in a more efficient space, if you want yep. to say, than what we had before. Yeah, like you've said many times with the move, uh, lack of knowledge makes planning easy. And uh, so we thought, oh, this is how hard is this? But we really were blessed by God with a lot of the situation we have. I think if we had to say, what's the advice we would give anybody who's moving? I mean, I only have one, which is, uh, well, don't do it very often. But uh, practically speaking, don't close your post office box for some time. That would, that would be one of the things that we uh, learned along the way. But yeah, we've really been blessed, and uh, I won't say we fell into it all, but uh, certainly there's not, uh, nobody can say, you know, we had this all in mind, and it turned out just how we thought it would. So, yeah. So, five years here, what do you see as strategic in the next five years for LBT? We've sort of established ourselves. You've mentioned that the staff has grown now. We were down to bare bones for a year or two there, and then have been able to carefully and strategically 
build back staff to support to tell the story of God's mission and Bible translation? Where are we going from here? In executive staff, we're really using, uh, it's been explained to me, as a three-box solution as we look at how do we understand what we're doing now, how do we understand what we've done in the past, and where we're going into the future. So the three-box solution is looking at today's work. What are you doing right now at this particular moment? Yeah. might call it operations. How do we do this and do it better efficiency, do it better and faster all the time? And so we are constantly working on that. And I really appreciate your work, Rich, as the COO, making sure that all our systems are working to the best that we can to have them work. And then there's another box which you look inside is kind of the historical box. Look inside of it, see what you have from historicity that is no longer helpful for you into the future and selectively get rid of what is no longer helpful. Sometimes through emotion, we hang on to things. The building that we had in Aurora would be a historical way of doing things. And we look at the building and we say, is this still helpful for the future or is it not helpful for the future? And then make a decision based upon that. And then the third is uh, creating the future. What are you going to do in the future? What's going to happen? Of course, we can't tell what the future is going to be, but if we don't plan for the future, then we run the risk of running ourselves into oblivion. And think of uh, organizations like JCPenney or Sears uh, that were the big organizations of the past, and they were not able to adjust so well for the future, and so they, they move into oblivion. I think that the future creating the future is all about partnership. Mm-hmm. No longer can we go alone. In the past, uh, many agencies, nonprofits have kind of gone alone, done their thing. Uh, but today's U.S. context no longer supports going alone to do specific things. And so we have to work through partnership. Lutheran Bible Translators has a number of partnerships throughout the world. The Lutheran context in the U.S. is dwindling. There's a, It's just a hard fact yeah. that... Uh, and I even read something the other day that the Baptist church uh, dropped 4% in their baptisms for last year. And so we can see the whole Christian context in the United States. It's not like it was. And how is it going to be into the future? If we see the trends, we say that it's going to be dwindling. It's going to be harder to operate as a Christian nonprofit in the States if we continue to expect things are like in the past. Mm-hmm. So how do we change? Where do we go? For us, the future of Bible translation is really in other places where the churches are growing and expanding and uh, where their capacity is high, even as they may not have uh, resources to be able to carry the vision forward on their own. And that's why partnership is, is so important. So we're putting resources into places where mission will be carried forth in a self-sustainable way. And that's the key, is how will uh, our partners carry things forward when we are not around or if we are not around to take care of them? If the Lord blesses us and we continue to be around in 100 years, we will continue to be faithful to the resources that he gives us. Uh, If our context is more like Europe, where they have no longer have resources to support the missions that they did 70, 80 years ago, then we need to prepare for that particular time. So we're putting resources into places where mission will be carried forth in a self-sustainable way. And in a way, we're becoming a trailing partner in places where originally we were the leading partner. It's just a mission paradigm changing. The future is changing. It's going to be different than what the past has been. Yeah, so as a a trailing partner or uh, you speak of that, you imply some sort of reciprocity, a reciprocal relationship or more peer 
peer-to-peer type of operating, which is, is easy to say. And a lot of people will say, of course, that's how it should be around the world. There's a, a lot of capacity and so forth, but it's a lot harder to do. It's hard to not fall into old routines and ways of doing things. And certainly there's a, a desire by the folks we partner with to to properly honor the partnership and the relationship. And so it's been a, that's that's one of our greatest challenges is authentic partnership more than lip service and working in ways that that really say we're here to serve, we're here to fill in gaps, but you're the, the lead, uh, the mission is your vision and reaching out is, is your church's objective as much as it is anybody else's. And so that's been pretty rewarding to be part of. And it's so true because partnership is a matter of negotiation as you're working together, as you're deciding on objectives and goals. And the rules of negotiation are different from culture to culture. And so we have to be sensitive to what is happening in that culture and with that system, that accountability system, and what is happening in our accountability system right. and make sure the two merge together and both partners are happy with the results and how we get there. Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's what we hear a lot of our folks talk about is both the, the joys but the tension of having a foot in two different worlds. And I think in a way that's how missionary service has always been, but it's even more so now that a lot of our interaction is right there in the middle. And in the middle, you can get torn, you can get uh, you can get twisted, and it's a very unique place to be. But I, you know, when we know that uh, it's God's mission and see how God is at work and recognize that God is always at work in mission. And uh, there's no set method that God says that's got to be the one. There's no set people or place or or whatever. God's mission is a, a question of involvement and seeing where God's at work and trying to line up with that rather than making that, you know, our mission. What advice, as we kind of close out here, if there are nonprofit leaders listening, what advice do you have if they're wrestling with tough questions like you were when you, you started uh, as our executive director? Well, I, I guess the, the one piece I would really think about is um, uh, putting resources into the future for the future. Yeah. Uh, if we don't think about the future and where we are looking at the data and say what trends are we looking at, then we really fail as nonprofit uh, leaders. There is no certainty of what is going to happen in, into the future, but if we pretend like it's not going to be there, if it's always going to be just like the past is, then ultimately we'll be closing the doors of our nonprofit sooner or later. For us, the how we accomplish proclaiming the word through Bible translation, the future, it will be a different way than how we accomplished it in the past. So the end result is always going to be the same, that people hear the word and come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But the who and the how, that continually transitions on a, I'm not going to say daily basis, but pretty close to it. Yeah, that's true. It's a... An interesting time to be in, I mean, to honor what's been done in the past. And and there have been so many people. Recently, I was looking through some of our historical documents and just at the list of the names of folks that many of whom I've never met, but who uh, have been involved or connected with Lutheran Bible translators at some point and did things a certain way, which was the way that was the right way to do things, if you can say right or wrong, but there's the way to do things. And now uh, to both honor that service and that time and then say, we have to look to where things are going now and and be in that space to intentionally make part of the plan, even part of the budget, to say we have to invest in whatever is coming next and not just be in the whirlwind of doing what we do now. And then all of a sudden you look up and, and everything's gone over here and you're still over here. So, yeah. And, it's a uh, good picture. That's you. 
put forward. Yeah, and I think our move to Concordia really allowed us to do that in some ways. As you mentioned, the building up of a reserve, so you have the ability to be strategic instead of reactive and to just be more nimble when you're not tied down to trying to figure out how to make everything work with your building and your physical plant for your headquarters. For I'm sure that works for a lot of ministries. For us, it was advantageous to become more nimble. Remember the time that Tillahoon came the first time expecting to see a, a big headquarters. Tillahoon's our, uh, one of our development officers, and he was surprised to just find a bunch of folks tucked away in this tiny little building making stuff go. And uh, yeah, it's a hidden gem, I think. In fact, uh, I was with Tillowin just recently, and he was bringing forth that particular story again of just how humble he felt that uh, Lutheran Bible translators can be because we're not trying to project a mighty uh, front here in the United States, but all of our work is done overseas, and that's where we... Someone else told me uh, not too long ago, he says, never seen an organization which raises money for other people to, to do mission uh, instead of for yourself. And so that but we're kind of, I'm not going to say proud. We try not to be proud about that, but that's uh, a great observation is that uh, the less money we can spend on ourselves in our office space and everything else, the more we have to put into God's word going forth into the world. Yep. Very true. And that's been one of the blessings. So five years here in Concordia, just like that, it's, uh, it's gone. So it's a pleasure to serve together. Looking forward to where God's taking us next. And thank you for being on the podcast today and spending some time talking with us. Well, it's awesome. You know, just Rich, this is God's story of salvation that we're serving in, and I just uh, am ecstatic to be a part of that. God calls each of us into his story, and he uses each of us that others might know of the story too. And that's why I really like serving in the story of Bible translation through Lutheran Bible translators. It's the story of God's salvation going to the most remote parts of the earth through our own languages. I just want to say thank you to all who serve through prayer, gifts, staff, missionaries, and partners. God is using all of us that his word goes forth. The word stands uh, no matter what happens all around us. And it's a great story to be in. Thanks for joining Dr. Mike and myself. We hope you enjoyed our reminiscing as much as we did in producing this episode. It's a privilege to work together with you in God's mission that his word may go forth to the ends of the earth in the language people best understand. It's been an amazing last five years, and we look forward to what God has in store. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. Look for past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org podcast, or find us and leave us a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is edited and produced by Andrew Olson and distributed by Sarah Lyons. Executive producer is Amy Gertz. Podcast artwork designed by Caleb Rodewald. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Radowski, so long for now.